The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Standard Issue for all women. Hello there, Mickey here. Welcome to the Sunday Chops, where you get more me. I am chatting to self-confessed refuge connoisseur Cash Carraway, who has written a one-woman show called Refuge Woman. It charts one woman's journey of 13 refuges in 16 years. It's semi-autobiographical and Cash and I chatted a lot about refuges and the devastating effect of government funding cuts to these vital services and also a little bit about how we can help, mainly by being angry and getting the Tories out. But you know, it is a start and we definitely need to do that. Refuge Woman is shown as part of the No Direction Home Festival of Refuge and Migration, which takes place at Camden People's Theatre. The festival started on October the 23rd, and you can catch Refuge Woman from Tuesday the 6th to Saturday the 10th of November. For more information and to book tickets, visit the Camden People's Theatre at www.cptheatre.co.uk. Next Wednesday's podcast is a gig cast, and oh my goodness, what a corker. Recorded in Edinburgh at the Stand Comedy Club as part of our Edinburgh Fringe run, it features, brace yourself Maureen, Hannah Dunleavy, Sarah Millican, Louisa Omelon, Janine Garofalo and Sue Pollard. The likes of which have never seen the likes of which. All our gigs are great fun, so you should definitely come along to one, if not all of them. The next one, if you're listening to this on Sunday, is tonight. And you could still come along and watch me and Hannah have a little chat with Lisa Riley, June Sarpong and Stacey Solomon. They are very good fun. And I've got a hula hoop with me, so who knows what could happen that won't make it onto a podcast. The next one after that is at Leicester Square Theatre as well, and that features men. You heard me, men. Richard Herring, David Morrissey and Colin Jackson. And that is on November the 20th. Tickets and information for all our gigs can be found at Sarah's website, sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue. A little bit more admin. Please remember to subscribe if you're not already subscribed. And if you can just, you know, journey on over to iTunes and give us a rate and review. <coughs> five stars, please, five stars. We would be ever so grateful. If you found some coin down the back of your sofa and you're like, what can I do with this? Well, you know, there's loads of stuff you can do with it. But if you fancy helping us out, you can chuck it to us over on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash standard issue. Enough of me wanging. Let's chat to Cash, who was utterly brilliant. And I very much recommend that you go see her show. Hello, Mickey here. I am joined on the phone by Cash Carraway, excellent name, self-confessed refuge connoisseur, and now with her one-woman show, Refuge Woman, playwright and performer. Hiya, Cash. Hello, how are you? I'm all right, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Could you tell us a bit about Refuge Woman, please? Yeah, um, it's a one-woman show about the portrayal of working-class women in the media, kind of set um, amongst the backdrop of government cuts to women's domestic violence services. 
That's it, really. That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> it's semi-autobiographical, isn't it? It is, yes. I guess, like most writers, I kind of write what I know and write about the world that I live in. It's kind of inspired, well, it was inspired by an experience I had last summer when me and my daughter were living in a refuge in uh, Labrick Grove. And the ceiling crashed down. And um, it's weird because when, when I was living there, uh, before you know, before I kind of realised the extent that the government cuts had kind of harmed the services that we were accessing at that point, I thought that a refuge would be like a great place to set a sitcom because I know that that sounds quite horrendous, but well, no, but it brings people together, doesn't it? There's a whole range of people. it really does. Yeah, exactly. You get you know you meet really interesting characters, and when you're in a kind of like dark unusual situation really funny things happen so I'd already kind of started writing some stuff whilst we were living there and then things kind of changed quite dramatically and the ceiling crashed in one night we were kind of faced with the media the media wanted to talk to us and I really hated the way that we were kind of treated like these kind of poverty porn pieces I'd approached the media to talk about a political issue but really whatever I wanted to talk about was how many times I've been beaten up and what kind of terrible life I've been fleeing. So um, that kind of inspired me to write something about the portrayal of working-class women and the kind of situations or the kind of position that we're put in by, by the media. And you mentioned the government cuts as well, because cuts to funding refugees have been appalling. I think a report in 2017 showed that local authorities across England have cut spending on domestic violence by a quarter since 2010. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, especially because we were in the borough of Kensington and Chelsea, 40% of the funding, because um, obviously they put they put the contracts out to tender. Organisations such as like Women's Aid, Hestia, Refuge, they all kind of throw in their bids, and they obviously go with the cheapest the cheapest provider. Um, so the, you know, the properties have kind of gone to pot, really. You know, they're not safe places, because obviously the ceiling crashed in, in the one that we were in. Apart from the big ceiling crash, which is clearly rubbish just to put it mildly rubbish and dramatic, dramatic. yeah um, can you tell us a bit about the realities of living in a refuge i've lived in two refuges um i lived in a refuge when i was pregnant and i lived in a refuge um last summer but the um the play itself is set amongst 13 refugees as a um that's why it's semi-autobiographical because the woman she kind of spends her whole adult life escaping and going around refuges around the country i have experienced two women's refuges myself and a couple of homeless shelters along the way the experience i had in 2010 when i was pregnant was very very different from the experience i had in 2017 i think that's testament to the cuts when i was in a refuge in 2010 it felt very safe um we had access to lots of resources like therapy and we were kind of, you know, we had guidance. There was more more council properties available. Um, we were kind of given help with housing. But last year, we were sort of left to rot, to be honest with you. Um, and that's not that's not the um, nothing to do with the people that work there. They're just they're just underfunded. And the people that that are working in these refuges care very much, but they're understaffed, overworked. It's kind of wild in there, you know. It's, you, you've got some very damaged people who've, who've escaped some really horrendous things. And they're just kind of left to kind of get on with it. There's, there's no help. There's no real help available. You mentioned earlier, obviously, the, the media portrayal of, uh, I, I put homeless people, working class people, people mm-hmm. in trouble and needing help. It's generally sort of pitying, but not in a helpful way. 
Yeah, it's so pity. And I mean, I'm obsessed with Channel 5. I mean, I, I think Channel 5 is horrendous, but I'm absolutely <laughs> obsessed with it. And their, their content, its output. Um, it's, it's so frustrating because we're kind of portrayed as these scroungers and we kind of want to take something from society as opposed to wanting to give something to society. You know, you just have to watch the Jeremy Carl show to oh, see how, <laughs> you know, we, you know, we, we should, we should be sterilized and, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be allowed to have children. And, you know, that, that, that kind of portrayal that is, you know, prevalent within society now. And I think that's like perpetuated by the right wing press, like a daily man and the son. I don't feel like there's any kind of real portrayal of the working class, like a genuine portrayal of what life is really like. Um, because, yeah, we we are just normal people, <laughs> you know. We don't, we don't kind, of, you know. I work, um, and the clues in the name, isn't it? Working class. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I come from a working class background, and my family are all absolute grafters. Yeah. Exactly. And I think most working class people are. And this kind of whole thing that we're scroungers, and you know, do you know how many times a day I get told to get a proper job? get a proper job like, no, I do have a proper job you know what, what what is a proper job you know what you know is, is it a nine to five is it something where you kind of clock in and clock out or you know I mean there's I, for a long time I was work I, I was working six zero hours jobs I was working 60 hours a week just kind of doing what I could but I, I mean I was working hard there was there was no question about that but it wasn't considered real work maybe because of my accent maybe because of the way I dress maybe because I'm just considered common, you know, or, or you know, beneath people. And and that's, that's because of the media portrayal of working class people. The language used by the media is, is so dangerous and so potent. Yeah. And I think it's the same around how they talk about domestic violence as well. Yeah, I mean, there's just two sides to it, really. You get, the, you get the kind of side of people who are like, well, what did she do to deserve it? How, you know, how did this happen? You know, why didn't she just leave? Yeah, you know, she could have just left. And financially, it's not always possible to leave. That certainly that was the situation I was in because I knew the reality awaiting me. I knew that I knew that me and my daughter would be homeless, so it was easier to stay in a situation that was incredibly dangerous and emotionally harmful. And I think that's the case for a lot of women. Yeah, it must feel a bit like it's a choice between drowning or death by fire. It's <laughs> yeah. like, well, they're both shit. So at least I can swim at the moment. So exactly, yeah, stay where I exactly. am. Exactly, and uh, yeah, and that's before you even take into account the mental stuff that and emotional things that keep women tied to violent men. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think like from my experience and from uh, the women I lived with in the last refuge, so much of it was financial. You know, obviously there's the, the, the violence and the emotional violence that goes alongside it, but the financial attachment was the hardest to break because, you know, nobody wants to take their child to a refuge. Nobody wants to spend eight years living in temporary accommodation that's unfit for inhabitation. And any, any woman who actually manages to break free and go through that is incredibly... I've taken a massive risk. I think that kind of actually that goes back to the um, to the media portrayal of the oh she's so brave, she's so brave, you know, like that kind of really pitying portrayal of, of domestic violence. You've got that side where why did she just leave? And you've got this other side, well, oh she's so brave, and you know this woman 
is amazing as opposed to well actually yeah she is brave but it's that don't be so condescending do not be so condescending you know we are you know, it's, it's like it's not it's, it's about like the fact that we're generally not treated like intelligent humans and what i experienced along the way was a lot of journalists who put words or attempted to put words into my mouth and you know try and tell this kind of pity porn story oh this brave woman this brave woman has left this man and it's terrible what's happening to her but the media are saving her we are here to help we're here to provide a voice rather than just kind of letting us have our own voices and as i said you know when i approached the media it was because i had a political issue i didn't want to talk about violence i wanted to talk about government cuts and the fact that we were put in danger we've been put in danger because 40 percent of the funding had been had been cut on the refuge and you know the, the feeling question and almost you know it could have killed could have killed any of us but really what people wanted to talk about was well done for escaping you know t- tell us tell us your story tell us you know let's black out your face and disguise your voice put you on victoria derbyshire and talk about what terrible things are mandated to you rather than actually <laughs> okay we have gone through that but let's 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 not black out our faces unless you know we felt like that that was needed for our safety but let's let's sit here as actual intelligent women and talk about what's happening and let's and let's not bring the violence into it because that's in the past what we're talking about now is the fact that the government have abused us more than any man in this situation so that that was that was that was how the play came about really you did uh, you did actually work with the bureau of investigative journalism yes. right so i took refuge woman on tour with them a couple of months ago we went around the UK to places um, that had been affected most dramatically by the government cuts. We went up to Lancaster, went to Norwich, Leeds, um, Bristol, and um, a few other places along the way. And um, we did panels afterwards where we were talking about, you know, because it, it was actually an unusual subject for a, a group of journalists to take on tour, which I guess was kind of um, quite brave of them, really, to be honest, because um, I was there. Oh, they're so brave. They're so brave, they Cash. They're so brave. Yeah, no, it was, it was, <laughs> it was just, um, it was nice to kind of be able to stand, and I, we took it to Byline Festival, which is, you know, a festival for journalism. And it was, there, was, there was nothing more exhilarating than standing on a stage in a tent and telling 200 journalists that I hated them. That was um, a, a brilliant <laughs> moment. You're living the dream. I know, I know. <laughs> everything's coming true um yeah so it was um, it was really interesting to go on tour with them and we did a series of panels afterwards where you know we discussed the portrayal of of, of women in the you know working class women in the media and how journalists can kind of better approach um subjects when it comes to stories like that so i think i think like uh, lots of journalists learned a lot from it as well so that was that was very interesting it was great to work with them i think i've got um i'm doing one more show with them on the 8th of november that's going to be at Camden People's Theatre as part of the run. But um, yeah, we're doing, we're doing a panel with the Bureau. How can journalists better represent women and people in your situation? Th- or who have been, who in, have been in the situation? situation? I think it's, um, I guess it's a case of not looking down on people and viewing them as intelligent beings. You know, just because someone is working class or someone has been in a refuge or someone has experienced a horrific trauma... It doesn't mean that their brain isn't working and to kind of understand that you know we don't need words put into our mouths you know we're quite capable of telling our own stories and i think that's that's what's lacking in the media with the working class is that there isn't enough working class people telling their stories and that's why it gets misconstrued by middle class television producers who put out this kind of positive porn content so i think i think it's having more working class journalists 
having more working class writers, just having more working class voices out there in general. Um, and then the kind of narrative will begin to change. So that's, that's my mission, I guess. <laughs> it's an excellent mission. Thank you. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's, it's a difficult mission because no one wants it to happen. The amount of abuse that I get for just telling the story of, of things that have happened in my life. I mean, hun- I'm talking like hundreds of messages every day, just saying, shut up, keep quiet. I don't want to hear it. You're boring. You deserve it. Work harder. About living in a refuge and about having to sort of, I don't know, deal with government yeah, who, who yeah, isn't supporting yeah. you. Is that the sort so, of stuff people are saying? Don't talk about this. People, people are saying, um, well, you should, you should have worked hard. If you don't work hard, then this is the kind of situation that you end up in. And they kind of forget, you know, <laughs> before I was in a refuge, I was I had some pretty good jobs and um, what would be perceived as, as good jobs because they pay well and they fit into the nine to five narrative people just kind of take you on the value of what you're saying in that very moment and forget that you have a history and forget that you've had a life that's led up to this moment the abuse kind of stems from the fact that working class people are not considered to speak in an acceptable way like i always get told well be nice you know you're not saying things in a nice way and i don't know whether that's my accent or maybe because i swear or maybe because i'm angry but it's it's yeah, well, you're allowed to be fucking furious <laughs> when you're being treated that way. That's absolutely allowed. Yeah, it's, women get the same though, don't they? It's like, well, if you ask nicely, don't get angry. Women being angry isn't a good thing. Well, yeah, it is because sometimes we're angry. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know, it's, it's okay to kind of, and, you know, and I'm trying to channel that anger in a positive way, you know, by writing a play. And I have a book coming out next year. So I think I think it's positive to kind of tell that story, to get that story out there. People don't want to hear it and will shout you down and. You know, and then it gets very personal. Um, you know, so first of all, it starts with the kind of, well, you're lying. You know, you're, this didn't happen. The government cuts are not that bad. Being working class is not that bad. If you had a proper job, then you wouldn't have to live in council housing. And why should you be housed in London if you if you have a council flat? You know, you deserve to be socially cleansed. And you know, that's that's the kind of comment that comes away. And then when when you kind of provide evidence to say, well, no, actually, <laughs> you know, if you've lived in London all your life, you shouldn't be cleansed up to Sunderland or wherever you get sent you know you should you should have a right to to be housed to have affordable housing in you know an area that's close to your support network and family absolutely but then you know when you when you kind of come up with those things you try and you know you try and have a reasonable argument then it just gets nasty it's like oh you're ugly and it's, it's like ah you know how how do you how, how can you fight that when you when people just don't want to listen well, you're not fighting logic, and also that they demonstrate in that those kind of responses demonstrate a real dissonance from reality. Yeah. Because what we're all safe for two pay packets. That's about it if we're lucky. Yeah, I think. And that, yeah, and that's the thing is that that is the case for a lot of people. Two pay packets away from from homelessness, especially if you're in London. I mean, I live in I live in social houses now, and I'm very very lucky. But when I was living in a private rental, I was living in a one bed flat in Kentish Town. I was paying one thousand five hundred a month. For a tiny one bed flat, me and my daughter were sharing a bed, and every moment of my life was about finding that one thousand five hundred pounds to sustain this overpriced. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a tiny one bed flat on a really rough estate where boys were getting stabbed every night, and you know, how how can that even be justifiable? How can how can a rent of a one bed flat on a really rough council estate? be £1,500 a month who can actually afford that it's just it's, you're, you're fighting an impossible battle especially if you're a single mum. everyone should have affordable housing and you know it's the case is especially in London and other major cities as well where like single mothers are just being 
kind of priced out. And when when I speak up and say, hey, this is not right, it's like, well, if you can't afford to live in London, get out. And it's, you know, it's, it's it, you know, that's that's not that's not a fair logic, is it? That's it just doesn't it just doesn't work. And that's what you're fighting against every day. Yeah, that's not a solution. But, you know, you want to be near your support network. Absolutely. We all do. Yeah, yeah. That's part of having a community, which, you know, is also getting destroyed by these kind of exactly. cuts and lack of funding exactly. I mean, like, services. Yeah, communities are being completely decimated. The working class is being decimated. I mean, it's, it is it is a class war. It is a massive attack on, on the more vulnerable in society. Jack Monroe, the cook and yeah. author, she has written a lot about living on a bootstrap and she did her recipes that were, you know, how she survived when she was very much struggling to survive yeah. on no money. Yeah. And she gets a lot of shit now for, well, you're all right now, why are you still talking about it? <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I, I mean, it's, it's almost like, well, you're okay now. Why should you care about other people? <laughs> yeah, why would you care about other yeah, people? Yeah, exactly. Come on now, Cash. I know, I know. No, I mean, I think I think what she does is brilliant. Obviously, I mean, I, I get that as well. Like, obviously, I'm not anywhere near. You know, I don't have the level of success that Jack Monroe has. But you know, people are like, well, you've got a book deal now, so shut up and get on with it. You know, stop, stop going on about zero hours because you know it doesn't matter anymore. It's like, well, no, it, it matters more than ever. A year ago, I was living in the refuge. I was working zero hours jobs. I was the most depressed I could ever be you know, a year later like my life is like completely changed around that doesn't happen that doesn't happen to most working class people I've, I've been incredibly lucky so it's up to people like me who have that stroke of luck to carry on shouting as loud as they can just because my life is significantly better now it doesn't mean that the plight of everyone else has changed you know it's 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 getting worse out there it's it's horrible and also it shows a lack of understanding of how book deals work to be honest with you oh yeah yeah i'd like yeah i kind of want to get that news out there <laughs> you know how long it takes for an advance to come through it's, <laughs> it's you know it's insane that, and that you know that's why that's why women like me don't often get to write books because you know to have that four month period where you're without a laptop and you know going down to your local library every day with restricted opening hours because you're living outside of london and trying to get chapters in on a deadline with no money you know it it takes time for all these things to happen you know only privileged people generally can say oh yeah yeah, yeah, i'll wait i'll wait four months for my money to come through when you're working class you know that four months it's it's a lifetime that's that's you know eviction proceedings would have common god of that period of time you know yeah people don't seem to understand you know once an eviction order is put in it moves it moves pretty quickly or out within two months you're living in a homeless hostel in maidstone so terrible you know just that life of precarity um you're kind of always like treading you know treading a fine line between trying to do something you're trying to work hard and trying to survive the two don't kind of merge when, when you're working class, it, it seems. What is your book called and what is it about? My book is called Skint Estate and it's about a period of poverty that I've lived in for the past few years since David Cameron came into power back in 2010. It starts, it starts in 2010 and comes up to present day, just about the decline of the, the working class and, the, and how it's been kind of left to rot. Um, but it's, it's a memoir. It's such a weird idea that we could get rid of a whole class of people. 
Well, you mean you, you you feel like they're trying to eradicate the working class, or you feel like they're just trying to put yeah, us out of view? Yeah. I just find it strange that they think that anyone could think that you can this whole group of people who have been here forever and have worked really hard and are just getting on with their lives can just be told to go away because they don't fit what people expect from their society. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a massive stigmatisation. I mean, you know, I mean, how do people define in working class? Because obviously, there's, um, you know, there's people saying, "Oh, these get these scroungers away." These, you know. These scroungers should, you know, go and live in sink estates in the middle of nowhere. But then, you know, you, you find that most most people on benefits are also in work. So, you know, how how are these people scroungers? I mean, the the scroungers are the the corporations who are who are holding on to their money, not paying, not their, paying taxes. their tax. Yeah, exactly. So, um, if companies are paying wages so low that they have to be topped up by working tax credits, then we're living in an unfair society. That's, I mean, that's that's the line, isn't it? That's 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 what shows you how unfair our society is. If someone can pay you seven pound fifty an hour, but to make that salary livable, you need to have it topped up by an extra hundred and twenty pounds a week in benefits. Then something is very wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not great at maths, but that is bad maths. Yeah, yeah me, me neither. But yeah, it, it, it seems pretty rubbish. <laughs> and also, you've got you've got children who are who are brought into whatever their parents can can give them. And that it's not a scrounging thing. It's such a stupid word. It's just I don't know. It makes me so angry that I can't actually articulate it. So well done for, <laughs> too, well done yeah. for writing a book. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a struggle. You know, I find, I'm finding it a struggle to articulate it, to be honest, um, because you know it's difficult to kind of write through the anger and also kind of get the facts out there and also appear to be reasonable at the same time. So um, it's it's definitely difficult to articulate. I, I, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> what can we do to help? What if listeners are going, well, this is terrible. What can I do to try to change this, to to lobby the government? What is it that people can do? Well, uh, the main thing is to get this government out. I mean, we need to get rid of the Tories. That's a fact. Oh, God, we're trying so hard. <laughs> I, I know, I know, and lots, lots of us are, but, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, when, when it comes to, you know, the day where we head down to the polling stations, who are these people? Who are these people voting Tory? Who are they? I honestly don't understand it. I think it's about, you know, people not being apathetic politically and getting out there and, you know, doing their best to topple this government. I mean, it's. It's really nice that people donate to food banks and it's really nice that people volunteer. And But that that kind of justifies what the government are doing in a way. And obviously people do need to eat. Oh yeah, but when they're applauding how well the food banks are going, you're like, oh my God, that is so fucked up. I saw something yesterday where there was a, a Tory MP volunteering at a food bank. I was like, oh, how fucking disgusting. How dare you? How dare you do that? Seriously. I mean, that's, I mean, that's just absolutely horrendous. And, you know, I think you'll find that lots of people who vote Tory, you know, don't need to be voted. And in fact, I know someone who's volunteering at a food bank with a group of Tory voters because it's like, oh, OK, well, it's, it's almost a way of keeping the working class in their place if they are being forced to go to food banks, yet they're still being fed. You know, it's kind of keeping them on that level of precarity that keeps them from speaking out. It's hard to speak out when you're hungry. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's hard to put up a fight when all you can think about is paying your rent or feeding your child or, you know, affording school uniform. That's why people really struggle to fight. And that's why people who care, people, you know, people on the left who are part of the middle class need to speak out and say, you know, and, you know, help to, to elevate these voices because you don't, you don't have a voice when you're, when you're starving. You don't have a voice when 
you're living in a homeless shelter because you've got other things on your mind. It's a bit French Revolution, isn't it? Marie Antoinette, let the meat donated cornflakes. It's patronising and shows a lack of understanding of the situation. Yeah, yeah, it totally does. We, I mean, and, and we do, we do most definitely need a revolution. I'm not saying that in a Russell Brand way. I mean it in a way, you know, that we seriously need to get together and fight this government because it's it's not helping anyone but the richest one percent. You know, and it makes me laugh. You know, you've got people who are like, well, you know, the, this, the government's doing great things for me because I own a house. My house is valued at £275,000 and this government is helping me. It's like, well, no, no, they're not helping you. You're, you know, you're next. You know, you're... <laughs> they, they will come for you. They just haven't yet because they've got a kill off the poor first and you know and, and people would say that what i'm saying is incredibly extreme but as someone who's lived it i can see how the cuts genuinely affect your ability to live and your will to live i know that i know that i'm not the only one i mean there's four million there's four million families in the uk that live in extreme poverty i mean you have to use food banks who you know some some of whom are living in homeless shelters and that's a lot of people, and if 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 we can elevate those voices, then we can get the government out. There's you know, there's no doubt about that. Four million's a lot of people. That's a lot of votes. You should run as MP somewhere. Oh, but do you know what? I once stood as a councillor in Margaret Thatcher's hometown of Grantham. Oh, and, nice. Um, that was in 2015, and I've never. You know, I was saying about the bullying I get online now. That is nothing compared to what you get walking through, walking down Grantham High Street if you're if you're a Labour candidate <laughs> seriously it's, I, don't, I don't know I don't know if I have a, a skin thick enough to stand as an MP but who knows maybe one day <laughs> oh yeah well keep us posted and, oh. and come somewhere I can vote for you please <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you Cash where can people find out more about you and follow you on social media and not throw abuse at you yeah please don't throw abuse at me I am I am honestly a nice person I'm angry but nice if there are listeners they understand that the two can go very comfortably hand in hand so that's fine <laughs> good good yeah you have you have lovely listeners obviously I'm on Instagram I deleted all my other accounts I'm on Instagram as Cash Carraway and my website is cashcarraway.com um, and my play, um, Refuge Woman, is at Camden People's Theatre, uh, opens on the 6th of November, runs to the 10th, got a British Sign Language uh, performance on the Wednesday, and there's a matinee on Saturday the 10th, um, that's a Babes in Arms performance, so if you've got a kid and you still want to come, then, you know, very welcome, I do say come to lot, but you know, babies can't understand that, can they? <laughs> They've got to learn sometime. What else? It's going to go on tour again um, end of this year. Oh, amazing. That's um, great Early news. next year. Yeah, yeah, really excited. And um, hopefully there'll be a bigger run in London in um, 2019. But it's still, like, really early days for it, really. Still got to learn my lines. I mean, like, it opens, uh, what, 10 days? Yeah. Skin to stay, yeah, um, you can you can pre-order um, if you fancy it. And it it comes out on the 20th of June next year still got to write it though so working <laughs> on that plug it away <laughs> cash thank you so much for talking to me it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me